Well, if you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to open it to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. We are going to get there in just a few moments. Proverbs chapter 2. In this series in January, we always take this uh, time of the year to focus on some of the fundamentals, focus on some of the important parts of our walk with Christ, focus on getting our year started off correctly. This year is no different, um, but taking a little different approach this year where we're trying to really take the Sundays in January and talk about the mission, why we're here, why we're here as individuals, why we're here corporately as a church, why are we why are we here? Last week, we kind of talked about an overarching reason, the overarching reason why we're here, and that is to lead people into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. As for all the purposes of why we're here, why you're here as a Christian, uh, one of the key ones is to be able to lead people into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we said last week, the importance of that and the difference between inviting people to join a religion and inviting people to take part in a relationship with Jesus Christ is the emphasis upon the grace of God, that our salvation is based not on anything we do, not on anything uh, that we have accomplished, but solely and completely upon the grace of a loving, kind, merciful, and gracious God, that our salvation is 100% accomplished without us contributing 1% of the work. And it's a powerful message, and it's important And so we're here to lead people into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. In the next three weeks, we kind of want to focus on our aim in accomplishing that mission here at Mount Hope. What is it? How do we accomplish that mission? And what are some of our primary aims as we do accomplish that mission? And we want to build this series the next three weeks around these three words, learn, love, and live. Learn, love, live. Uh, perhaps you've seen those, you know, sayings that seem to be everywhere, Bed Bath & Beyond, and maybe in your house that say, uh, laugh, live, love, or laugh, love, whatever order they're in. Um, and I think laughter is important, and I hope that as we go through our mission at Mount Hope, that we are filled with joy uh, as we go about our mission, uh, and, there are, and that saturates everything we do. But if I were to characterize what we do here at Mount Hope, and how we do it. These three words, I think, really encapsulate it. Learn, love, and live. Uh, What we're trying to do and what we're aiming for with people uh, in their lives as they come here. And we'll unpack those over the next few weeks. This morning, we're just going to unpack this word, learn, a little bit, and why it's so important for us as a church and as a community to be about learning. Um, Proverbs chapter 2, let's kind of jump right in there because this really, this whole passage is about the idea of learning. It's about the idea of wisdom. And it's written from a father to a son. Uh, The author of Proverbs isn't uh, identified completely by name, but uh, we believe it's probably Solomon uh, who wrote this to his son, Solomon as king, uh, passing on his wisdom to his son, Um, in order to walk with wisdom in the world. And so Proverbs chapter 2 is words from a father to a son. And I want to read the entire chapter beginning in verse 1. And here's what the word of God says. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding... And if you look for it as for silver 
and search for it as for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirit of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. This passage speaks about the importance of wisdom. I can't help but think of our uh, student ministry here at Mount Hope, which we call the path, because this chapter so often refers to following God as the path uh, and walking on the right path and avoiding the wrong path. Wisdom is something that's important in our world to make good decisions, and I think we all want to make good decisions, And most people, I think, want to walk through life making good decisions. But the truth is, oftentimes we look around us and we find people making poor decisions. We find people that have made decisions and we would say to ourselves, what were they thinking? I don't know if you've ever said that to yourself, but I think times I've said it to myself, well, I'll see something someone has done and I'll say, what on earth were they thinking? Well, one of the great things about the internet is it catalogs all kinds of things for us. That's sometimes good, sometimes bad. One of the things it catalogs that I came across this week was a list of the 10 worst business decisions of 2015. I'm not going to share all 10 of them with you, but I thought a few of them are worth sharing to illustrate this idea of sometimes people do things and you think, what were they thinking in that moment? Ten worst business decisions of 2015. One of them was KFC. How many of you enjoy KFC? Well, KFC in 2015, January of 2015, uh, I guess for people who are thinking about getting a little more healthier in the year, uh, they introduced something called the Double Down Dog. You probably haven't seen it because they only introduced it in the Philippines. Apparently, that's their test market, and it never made its way to the United States. The double-down dog was this ingenious idea for those of you that uh, don't like hot dog rolls, uh, or that hot dog roll is just annoying, or maybe that hot dog roll is a little too healthy for you. They found a way to wrap a hot dog in a piece of fried chicken uh, and then cover it with cheese 
in case, you know, the hot dog was a little too healthy for you, they wrapped it in a piece of fried chicken among the 10 worst business decisions of 2015, according to at least one survey. Another one, uh, the next one, for those of you uh, that are looking and wondering how you're going to walk your chicken, I mean, who among us hasn't looked at our chicken and thought, man, I'd really like to take that chicken for a walk? <laughs> Perhaps you have a chicken and you look at all the people walking their dogs and you think, oh, man, I need something to walk. <laughs> well, you can get the chicken harness. And uh, it is available. I checked this morning, not on back order. You can order yours, uh, male and female, chicken, roosters, whatever. Get yourself a chicken harness. Ten worst business in 2015. Uh, third one I have for you. For those of you that are sometimes standing in front of the mirror and, uh, and you are thinking, man, I look good. This is a good opportunity to take a selfie. Well, for you, there is the selfie brush. You can put your iPhone inside your hairbrush uh, and uh, take that selfie uh, at any moment uh, when you are looking your best. And uh, one of the 10 worst products of 2015. Sometimes we look at these and we say, well, what were people thinking when they come up with these ideas? It's not only legitimate business ideas. Um, I, I love reading the accounts of sometimes criminals who uh, make poor decisions Read a couple of those of what were they thinking. Uh, a couple of these uh, bank robbers particularly have issues, I think, with thinking through the situation. Uh, a couple of them, one I read about, wrote the ransom or wrote the note to the teller on the back of a subpoena uh, that they had received, <laughs> left that note. Uh, was not hard to find that person, you can imagine. Another one wrote it on the back of their own envelope that had their name and address on it. Uh, and, and, and still yet another one wrote it on the back of their own deposit slip that had their name and address on it. And uh, what were they thinking? But it's not just business decisions, and it's not just bank robbers. Uh, we see something of ourselves, uh, maybe not as big in these decisions, but it happens with us too, right? And it happens with people we know. It happens maybe with people in our extended family. Maybe you hear about something that, something that someone did in your extended family and you just shake your head and you say, what were they thinking? Or maybe it's someone in your, in your immediate family. Maybe it's your son or daughter who recently got their license and they come back and for the third time they have backed into a parked car and you are going, what were you thinking? You have a backup camera on there. What were you thinking? And there are times, if we are honest, that we have to say it of ourselves too, don't we? There are times in our own lives that if we're honest with ourselves, we'll have made a decision and we'll look back at it and we'll shake our heads even at ourselves and we'll say, what was I thinking? Sometimes silly things, getting angry when there was really no reason to. Sometimes bigger things, making decisions, vices in our lives, poor decisions, and we just later, looking back, say, what was I thinking? Or maybe looking back on your younger self five years ago, ten years ago, and you just look back and you say, what was I thinking at that moment? Well, how do we make good decisions? The question for us to think about this morning is not, am I the type of person that wants to make good decisions and not bad decisions? I think every one of us this morning would say, of course, we are the type of people 
We want to make good decisions and not poor decisions. That's not the question. The question is how do we go about making good decisions and not poor decisions? How do we make sure that decisions we make are good decisions and not poor decisions? As we enter 2016, I think all of us would say, you know what, there's some things in 2015 I'd like to do better in 2016. There's some decisions I made in 2015 that I'd like to make differently in 2016. I want to make wiser, good decisions. Well, the secret ingredient to that, it's not hard, and it's given to us very clearly in Proverbs chapter 2 as well as many other places. It's one word, and the word is wisdom. The word is wisdom. Wisdom is what protects us from making bad decisions. Wisdom is what guides us and leads us into making good, uh, making good decisions. It's wisdom that we need. The father in Proverbs, we read, is telling his son that if you want to be protected from bad decisions and if you want to make good decisions, then gain wisdom. But then the question for us becomes, how do we gain it? Where do we find it? Well, that's exactly what this passage talks about. How do we gain wisdom? How do we seek it? And where do we find it? And what does it do for us? How to seek wisdom is the first, first thing he answers, and really in verses 4 and 5 it says this, And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. He tells his son, he said, Look, wisdom is so important. You need to look for it as men and women normally seek after silver and gold. There are a lot of people that will do a lot of things to gain money. And when you think about it, right? I mean, uh, our televisions are filled with programming about people who will do all kinds of things to gain money. I mean, some of them are just documentary kind of shows on people who will uh, go searching for gold in the Klondike or go diving under the Bering Sea, under the ice, in order to find gold that's there. And you watch these people do these uh, death-defying things to gain money. Others are, are, are shows about people who will risk their lives on a crab boat or on a fishing boat in order to earn money. And they'll be out there on the, on the Bering Sea and, and hoping to get a year's worth of wages and a few months' worth of work. All kinds of things that people will do for money. Then there's other shows on television. We call them reality shows for some reason or another. These shows where people will try and survive and be the last one on the island so that they can gain money. These shows where people will race around the world for a monetary prize. Shows where people will do all kinds of things. Betray people, lie to people, put themselves in situations that we would never even consider putting ourselves in. Why? To gain money, to gain silver, to gain gold. And what Solomon is saying to his son is that same tenacity that people chase after silver and gold with. If you're wise, if you want to be wise, you will take that same tenacity and chase after wisdom. And so I think very naturally the first question that comes to us from this passage is, do you have that tenacity? Do I have that type of drive? Am I so committed to making good decisions? Am I so committed to living a wise life that I would have the same desire and effort and tenacity to win a $900 million jackpot 
as I would gaining wisdom from God. Because there are people that will do all kinds of things for that kind of money. But there are author of Proverbs is saying, you know what's even more valuable and know what would be even more worth your effort is if you would chase after wisdom and prioritize it in your life. How much time have you spent in the last year chasing wisdom? How much time would you like to spend in the next year chasing wisdom? Well, where does it come from? Well, he tells us that too. He says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He says, where do we find it? We find wisdom when we go to God looking for it. It's no surprise that he would say this. It's no surprise you're sitting in a church and you would say, well, duh, you're a pastor. I'm sitting in a church. What other answer are you going to give? But practically speaking, many of us, it's the last place we go looking for wisdom. Many of us will run all kinds of other places looking for wisdom. People in our world will run to different websites before they run to their prayer closet. People will will run to the bookstore or Amazon before they run to the Lord. We run all kinds of places. We run to our friends, to our family members before we go looking for wisdom from God. And he says, but if you go and you look for wisdom and you, find, and you look for God for wisdom, you will find it because God gives it. Verse 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom. We may seek it, but it's actually just God who gives it. God gives it. And when we go seeking wisdom, we need to go seeking it in God's word because God is the one who gives wisdom. And he's given it to us in one primary way. And it's in this book. You might have it on your tablet or on your phone or on your computer or or wherever, but this is the wisdom and the word of God. And God has chosen to communicate himself through the scriptures. When Jesus came and he referred to God's word, he referred to the written scriptures given to men and women. And so he's chosen to reveal to us this wisdom through his word. Many people realize this. A 2013 LifeWay research study, they, they surveyed 2,900 churchgoers. And they asked them, is it important to make godly life decisions in life? Now, I would think 100% of the decisions, would, people would say yes. But 90% said yes. I don't know what the other 10% are thinking. But 90% said of these churchgoers said, yes, it's important to make good, godly decisions in life. But then of those same people surveyed, 19% said they read the Bible regularly. So 90% would say it's important to make good, godly decisions in life, but only 19% would say they read the Bible regularly. And I would say that in the average church, 19% may be generous. Maybe some people wanting to look a little better uh, on the survey. Maybe some people have a little different definition of regular than others. But 90% of people would say, hey, it's important to make good godly decisions, but only 19% I read my Bible regularly. Well, the Bible says, and Proverbs chapter 2 says very clearly here, if you want to make good godly decisions, you need to go to God for wisdom, and the place God has given his wisdom is from his word. So if we think it's important to make good godly decisions, we probably should be spending some time in God's word. 
So how much time? How do you prioritize gaining wisdom from God in this coming year? One way is to read the Bible. Every year I talk about the importance of reading Scripture and getting into Scripture. And I hope over the last eight years or so of messages on this that if you've been here that you've taken steps to go deeper and to spend more time in God's Word. Even if you're not where you hope to be one day, I, my, my prayer each year as I talk about this is that we'll each move a little bit closer and we'll each press in a little bit harder and lean in a little bit closer into God's Word. And so every year I give you a Bible reading plan to encourage you on this. And so this year is no different. So I, I did that this year. So hopefully as you came in, you got one of these. If you did not get one of these, uh, please lift your hand up and, and Brian will get, make sure you get one. Is there anyone that does not have one? Brian over here, Tom needs one up here. Anyone who doesn't have one, just lift up your hand. Keep it up until you get one. I want to make sure everybody gets one. So it's, it's on a large page, but you can fold it in half. That way it'll fit a little easier in your Bible. I don't know how you fit it in your iPhone, but um, actually I do know how you fit it in your iPhone. Pastor Marvin told me this morning we'll load it up onto the website and we'll put it in our app so you can, uh, so you can access it that way. Um, <clears throat> but I did something a little bit different this year. And I want to encourage you this year in your Bible reading to try reading through uh, entire books of the Bible at a time. Uh, sometime we, sometimes we hand out reading plans that have you jump around and you read an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, maybe a psalm, maybe a proverb. Um, but I, there is benefit in reading an entire book at, of the Bible at one time and focusing on that because you get the context of that book. I mean, the Bible uh, crosses over 1,600 years. And so if you're jumping around in your reading, sometimes you can forget what's going on at that particular time, and it can be hard to understand the context and to draw out the principles of God because the context is so important to understanding what the principles are that God is trying to communicate to you. I would encourage you when you're reading your Bible in a Bible reading plan, get a good study Bible. And if you're starting a book, maybe you're starting Matthew, read that introduction that the study Bible gives to Matthew. Understand the context. Understand what's going on at the time period. Understand that in that context, Joseph is the husband of Mary and not Joseph, uh, the son of Jacob. That you understand that there are two different, uh, you know, what's going on. Those are vastly different time periods. Um, but, you know, so read that, uh, read that introduction. And then I, I wanted to encourage you this year to kind of commit to read through solid books of the Bible. But one of the things when I say that to you, you may say, whoa, that is a lot. You know, reading through a book of the Bible all in one sitting. We're focusing on the book of the Bible for one period of time. And you may say, you know, that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure I'm there yet, right? Um, uh, so this year, here's what I did. I put together, this is my own kind of design. I put together this reading plan for you this year called Time to Learn and It's Time to Read. Uh, so here's what I did last year. Last year, I was thinking about this Bible reading plan for this year. And I was thinking about the obstacles that people sometimes run into in reading the Bible. And I think one of the obstacles is so many times people say, well, I don't have time. I don't have time. And I think one of my responses to that is we often don't realize how much can be accomplished in not a whole lot of time. So here's what I did this past year. I did my, in my Bible reading this past year, I timed how long it took me to read each of the books of the Bible. And so I literally, yes, every morning sat down with my cell phone 
and I, you know, started the, started the stopwatch, uh, read, you know, that passage of Scripture, stopped the stopwatch. You know, when someone would come and interrupt me, I'd stop it, I'd pause it, you know, take out those two minutes and, and get back to it. And I literally timed how much and how long it took me to read every single book of the Bible outside of Psalms and Proverbs this past year. I didn't do Psalms and Proverbs because Psalms and Proverbs are a little bit different books. They're not written as, uh, in a sense, to be read as one uh, solid uh, unit. They're, they're read in, um, you know, Psalm, Psalms is a book of songs. You digest them kind of individually. Proverbs as well, the book of Proverbs, you kind of digest them a little more individually than as a whole. Uh, so I didn't do those two timed, um, but I did all the others timed just to give us a picture of what it takes to actually read uh, through the scriptures. And so I rounded them up to the nearest five minutes and you might be saying, well, Pastor Rick, you're probably a fast reader, and so this isn't helpful to me. Uh, I will tell you, I'm not a fast reader, and I did not read quickly, certainly, when I did this. Uh, I, I am not, uh, I do not read, I don't think, uh, any quicker than any other average person. Um, so I think these times are probably fairly accurate. You know, you may be more, you may be less. But just some observations on reading the Bible. The whole Bible, not including Psalms and Proverbs, can be read, if you added all these up, in 60 hours and 15 minutes. So that's what these are. These are times, I'm sorry, these are times. I had someone look at this this morning and say, why is Genesis three feet? Um, <laughs> so my mind, you know, I think in GPS coordinates, hours and minutes, right? Um, and I don't, you know, so three hours. So the, the, the apostrophe there is hours. The, the quotation, what looks like quotation marks are minutes. Um, so, uh, so that's what that is. It's not Genesis three feet long. It took me three hours to read the book of Genesis. Um, and so it's 60 hours and 15 minutes to read the entire Bible outside of Psalms and Proverbs. And that may sound like a lot of time. But how quickly could you get to 60 hours if you were to time your TV watching? How quickly would you get to 60, 60 hours if you were to time Netflix or Hulu and how much time you spent on that just binge-watching one program? How quickly would you get to 60 hours if you timed your video game time? Wouldn't take long. Probably wouldn't take long. How quickly would you get to 60 hours if you timed how long you're on social media? Probably wouldn't take long. And yet Solomon says, chase after wisdom the way you would chase after silver and gold. We don't even chase it the way we chase entertainment, let alone silver and gold. We don't even chase it the same way we would chase our favorite television program. 60 hours and 15 minutes, you can read the entire Bible through this year. 41 of the 66 books of the Bible can be read in less than an hour. If you set aside an hour and you said, you know what, I'm going I'm to set aside an hour, there's 41 of the books of the Bible that you can get through in less than an hour. 23 books, uh, 34 books can be read in less than 30 minutes. 34 books of the Bible, less, you had 30 minutes of time. There's 34 books of the Bible that you can get through in less than 30 minutes. Four, uh, 23 books can be read in less than 15 minutes. 23 books of the Bible can be read in less. My goal, I'm not saying this to to ask you to race through your Bible reading. I'm saying this completely to give you perspective. That maybe you say, you know what, I got 15 minutes in the morning. There are 23 books that you can read the entire, you can read an entire book of the Bible. Study it, listen to it. 
Now, you'll need more time than that to digest it and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and meditate on it. You know, it's not just racing through your reading, but it is got to start with reading. It is more than reading, but it is not less than it. We have, to, we have to be in it if we want wisdom. You can read all of the epistles in less than seven hours. Those are the letters, Romans to Jude. You can read all of them in less than seven hours. You start now. By the time you come back here next week, if you were going to just get, donate an hour, give an hour a day to reading, you would have read through Romans through Jude. You can read all four Gospels in less than seven hours, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can read all of them in less than seven hours. If you said, I'm going to give a half hour a day to Bible reading, I'm going to read the Gospels, you would have read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John by two weeks from today. When's the last time you read through all four Gospels? You can do it in less than seven hours. Getting the Word. We want to be like Jesus. We're going to have to understand and know the words of Jesus. We're going to have to be in His presence. At 15 minutes a day, you could finish the entire Bible in 241 days. 15 minutes a day. What do you give 15 minutes a day to that's less worthy than spending time chasing wisdom in God's Scripture? 15 minutes a day, you can be through the entire Bible in 241 days. At 30 minutes a day, the longest book in the Bible can be finished in six days. If you look down there, the longest one is three hours. I don't think anything took me longer than three hours. Genesis took three hours. I think there's another one that almost took me. Jeremiah takes nearly three hours. Those are the longest books in the Bible. Those are the longest ones. 30 minutes a day, you can be done with them by next Sunday. So I give you this, again, not to get you to race through Scripture, but to give you a perspective and understanding that just giving a small part, even a small part of your day, if you're not giving anything to reading the Scripture now, start with 15 minutes. If you're giving 15 minutes, I challenge you to jump to 30. If you're giving 30, I challenge you to jump to 45. If you've never read through the Bible in a year, maybe this would be the year that you would do it. Or maybe you would focus on a particular section of the Bible. So my reading plan this year is going to be a little bit different. I went through the entire Bible last year. So, so in alternate years, I like to focus on certain portions of the Bible in the New Testament. So my, you know, for me, for myself, my reading that I'm going to do this year is, um, is, is go four times, uh, one gospel, all the rest of the New Testament books, another gospel, all the rest of the New Testament books, another gospel, and read through the New Testament uh, four times with each of the gospels and focusing in on that. And that's just, that's my plan for this, for this year to do that and to focus in on that um, this year. And maybe your plan will be something like that. Maybe you'll focus in on a particular book or a particular section. But we have to be in the Word. We have to be chasing wisdom. We have to be chasing wisdom. We've grown accustomed to letting other people sometimes read and interpret the Word of God for us, and yet God invites us to come to His Word, invites us to come and hear from Him. God grants wisdom as we meditate on His Word. There's important relationships between the head and the heart when it comes to faith. And there is important, you know, we talk a lot about experiencing God, and that's important. But in order to experience God, we need to understand God. Both the mind and the heart are important. Our emotions are a big part, but the mind serves to know the truth, and it fuels the fire. So I, I, I hope that you don't just come and you hope to get a great experience on a Sunday morning. I hope you get that, but following Christ is so much more than that. 
and it has to be informed through the mind so that the heart knows what we're worshiping, what we're engaging, what we're experiencing. So many people, I think, want to go high and far with their walk with God, but you've got to go deep. Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers, love the master of the metaphor, I call him. Love the way Tony Evans preaches, and he gives this story, this, this metaphor about understanding about our walk with God. He says, uh, you know, when they build a skyscraper, you can kind of tell how tall, you can get an idea for how tall the building's going to be depending on how deep they go for the foundation. When they went about to build the Freedom Tower and they started that project and they started it really in earnest in 2006. 2006, they, they started digging, shovels went in the ground and they really started uh, to, to build that tower. It wasn't until 2010 that they started building above ground. It wasn't until 2010 that they started building that part that we now see, the office buildings and all that stuff that we see above ground. But they had to go deep for years before they're able to go high. And then Tony Evans says it this way in the way that only Tony Evans can. He says, so many people want skyscraper faith on a chicken coop foundation. And it's true, right? We want to go high with God. We want, to be, we want to go far with God. We want this skyscraper faith, but we don't want to do the work of going deep and going deep into the foundation work with God. And we want to make good decisions, and we all do, and we want to resist poor decisions. Well, if we're going to do that, we've got to go deep in our walk with God. To experience the heights of knowing God and experience his presence, we must be willing to do the hard work of digging into his word and meditating on it. John Piper in his book, Think, reminds us that God never says, stop thinking about my word and I'll tell you what it means. Instead, we're told to meditate on God's word, to digest it, to learn it. So we're to seek wisdom. Once we've sought it and God has given it to us, well, what are the benefits of wisdom? Real quick, real quick, because it's pretty clear. The benefits of wisdom. Godly wisdom does two things for us. First, it helps us to avoid foolish decisions in life work, and relationships. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in the dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And then in relationships, it will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, from her seductive words, who has left the partner of a youth and ignored the covenant she's made. Wisdom protects us. So you run after wisdom and you seek it from the Lord and you gain it and what does it do and what value and what benefit is it? It protects you. It protects you from foolish decisions in life and work. It protects you from chasing. Proverbs is saying, Solomon's saying, it protects you from easy money and easy women. It protects you from those things that will be tempting for you to chase out of your natural ambition, out of the short-term view and not having a long-term perspective. But when you get to God, when you get this wisdom from God, this wisdom will protect your life and your path from those things. It protects you from that. And so when we look at ourselves and we say, what were we thinking? The follow-up question should be, how much time have we spent chasing wisdom? Because maybe we weren't thinking. 
We weren't thinking. We weren't thinking about God's Word. We weren't thinking about God's Spirit. We weren't thinking about who God is. Wisdom protects us, protects us in our work, our life, and our relationships. Second, wisdom leads us to make wise decisions. Verse 20 says, Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. Not only does it protect you from making poor decisions, it will help you to walk in the right ways and make good and godly decisions. And how does it do that? Well, it does that by providing a fixed point of reference for us. It's a fixed point of reference. See, so often in the world that we live in, reference points change. Have you noticed that? In the world that we live in, truth and reference points change. Used to be that, uh, used to be in our world, you can look, they would tell you that you can't eat eggs because eggs are bad for your cholesterol. It came out in the last year or two and said, oh, guess what? We were wrong. Eggs aren't bad for your cholesterol. Enjoy your omelets. Used to be that they would say, you know what? If you want to be healthy, you got to drink uh, water out of one of those plastic 20-ounce water bottles. And now they're saying, you know what? Those plastic 20-ounce water bottles are evil, and you got to drink water out of the tap now because you're destroying the environment. Truth changes in our world. Reference points change. What was good one day is suddenly evil another. So you need a reference point. You need a fix. What will your fixed reference point be? Studying God's Word provides a fixed point of reference. Land surveyors, when you're surveying land, you need a fixed point of reference. For the golfer, it's that flag in the middle of the green. For the captain, it's that, it's that lighthouse or that buoy that provides that fixed point of reference. You know, around this time of year, my uh, mind is often thinking about the beach and the water and <laughs> thinking about how far that is off right now. But I love being out in the water in the summertime. I love being out on boats. And, uh, and when I'm, driving a, when I'm uh, driving a boat, that's one of the things I do. When you're, when you're going across open water and you really don't have a lot to go on, you often look for a fixed reference point. Because if you swerve, you're going to waste gas, you're going to waste time. It becomes a more expensive trip than it needs to. So if I'm, if I'm driving and, and, I'm, and I'm going forward, I'll set the compass setting, and then I look on the horizon and try and find a water tower, try and find a hill, try and find a, a windmill or something, and I just set the course and aim towards that. Because if I know I have a fixed reference point that's not moving, my path will be as straight as it can be, and I can look behind me and see that I have not wasted time and effort and resources. It's the same thing in your life and mine. You've got to have a fixed reference point. You've got to have a fixed reference point that you are aiming for, or you will swerve side to side, and you will waste time and resources. So the Word of God provides us that, provides us that. The knowledge of God will help you to make good decisions. Remember that old schoolhouse rock? Remember those old schoolhouse rock programs that would come on? And they would have that opening song, and the last part would say, knowledge is power. I think Solomon in Proverbs chapter 2 would say that godly knowledge is power. Godly knowledge. Godly knowledge is power, and it will lead you and help you to make Godly decisions, powerful in prayer, powerful in living. It's important. Jesus knew that us learning 
that people needed to be taught and learning was important. And so one of the things we do here at Mount Hope and one of the things we want to be about here at Mount Hope is a place where people can learn about God. Is a place where people, if you don't know God, you can learn who he is and what it is to follow Jesus. And if you know him, you can learn even more about him. This was important to Jesus. Mark chapter um, 6, chapter 6, verse 34. This account in Jesus' life I thought was interesting. So I was looking at this topic this week, came across this passage. And it says, when Jesus landed, so he takes the disciples away after some intense ministry, and he was actually taking them away for some rest, but they weren't able to get rest because all these people came. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So, don't go to the next slide yet, John. So, what do you think the next sentence is? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So, he healed them. So he fed them. So he loved them. But actually, the next line is, so he began teaching them many things. See, this aspect of learning is fundamental to who we are. If we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to be sheep that have a shepherd, if we're going to have direction, if we're going to make wise and godly decisions, then we need to know and be taught by Christ and be taught by God and his word. Jesus had compassion on them, so he taught them. We need to be taught. Jesus Christ himself is the way, the truth, and the life, it says in John John chapter 14. Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth. When Jesus came on this earth, he is truth incarnate. And so his words we need to study as truth. But then he says, he goes on to say, before he uh, leaves, he tells his disciples, John chapter 16, talking about the Holy Spirit. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, so Jesus is truth incarnate. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, when I leave, when I, after the resurrection, ascend into heaven, I don't leave you alone. I'm leaving so the Holy Spirit can come. And one of the jobs the Holy Spirit has is to lead you into truth. So when you come to this word, and when I come to this word early in the morning, and your eyes are barely open, and you've got that cup of coffee beside you, and you're wondering, how am I ever going to get anything out of this? On your own, you won't. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes to guide you and to lead you into all truth. And right there in the morning, in that chair, in that place, is the Holy Spirit of God. Opening up the Holy Word of God to you. So that you can know and understand Him. Just as present as He is right here as we sing and worship on a Sunday morning. He's right there with you in that place, wherever that place is. Bill Hybels talks about uh, in his devotional life the importance of having a chair, you know, chair time. And I love that. I love that term. And it's, 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 it's what I do too. It's what Wendy and I practice. We each have a, we have a chair. We have a spot. You know, and, and, and that's where we have chair time every morning. You know, you have your chair time. And that's the space where you come 
to meet with God. You open up God's word, listen to his Holy Spirit, and you wait on him to lead and guide you. Where is your chair? Where is your spot? Where is that sanctified space in your home and in your life where it's the place and space that you have to spend time with God? You need that time with God. Knowledge leads to more powerful words. Jesus said that we, he is the truth and the Holy Spirit's given to lead us into truth. Let me close with this. So what do we do? Well, you need to know and recognize that there are some things you don't know. And I think sometimes the reason we don't spend time in God's word is because we don't realize there are things we don't know. In their book, let me close with this kind of fun illustration. In their book, Think Like a Freak, economist Stephen Leavitt and Stephen Dubner state, it's long been said that the three hardest words to say in the English language are, I love you. We heartily disagree. For most people, it is much harder to say, I don't know. They point to the following experiment as the many ways of illustrating this. They tell a simple story and then ask a few questions, and here's the story. A little girl named Mary goes to the beach with her mother and brother. They drive there in a red car. At the beach, they swim, they eat some ice cream, they play in the sand, and they have sandwiches for lunch. That's the story. And they ask these four questions. Here's the questions. What color was the car? Did they have fish and chips for lunch? Did they listen to music in their car? Did they drink lemonade for lunch? Some of you did much better than the kindergartners did. When they post this story to kindergartners, most of the kindergartners, like you, got questions one and two right. But questions three and four, 76% of them said either yes or no to music or lemonade. And the right answer is we don't know. There is no, it doesn't say in the story. But it's so hard for us, for kids, and I think for adults at times to say, I don't know. And if we don't recognize that there are things in life, and especially things in our walk with the Lord that we don't know, then we won't go seeking after wisdom. We'll try and bluff our way through life. People in this world pretend they know everything about God and religion. But apart from knowing God himself, how could we? If there are things we don't understand, we must admit it and seek out the truth. So be in God's word. Be in God's word. Get in there on your own on a regular basis. Join a Bible study. On the video announcements just before I came up, you saw some of the Bible studies that are going on. Tomorrow night, uh, the, the precepts study of the book of John will start here, 7 o'clock, Bible study. Inductively studying the scriptures Verse by verse, precept by precept, uh, the book of John, going through it, understanding the context, understanding what God is trying to say to us. That same study starts in Belmont uh, this Wednesday night. To get in places where people are studying the scriptures, learning the scriptures. Read the Bible for yourself. Get in a Bible study. Learn. Think. I encourage you also, in addition to the scriptures, I would recommend to you, to do some reading of solid Christian authors, especially men and women of the past who have walked this path and done it well. Read Christian biographies of men and women of the past who have walked this path and done it well, how the interaction with the Word of God has informed their life. Read authors like Lewis and Tozer, Piper and Bonhoeffer, 
St. Augustine, Thomas Akempis, Henry Nowen, Timothy Keller, these people, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot, these people who have walked the path, read their biographies, George Muir, men of faith, women of faith, realize that our little glimpse of history is not all that there is of history, that God has worked in the lives of men and women in the past. Think, go deeper in your faith. We think about God and his word so that our faith is not built on the whims of emotion but on a solid foundation, so that our faith and our worship is deeper, so that we can avoid the pitfalls of the world around us, so that we can make wise decisions, and so that we might gain godly wisdom because godly wisdom is power. And so as we close out this message and as we begin this year of learning, I pray that it is for you that this will be a time of learning. At Mount Hope, we want to be a place where people learn about Christ and about following Christ. We want to be a place that if you don't know Jesus, that by coming here, being around the people that are here, and being and sitting under ministry that's here, that you will learn who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. But if you follow him, we're also committed to being a place where you can learn more about Christ. Where even if you have followed Christ from a young, uh, from when you were a young girl or a young boy, that when you come here, you will learn more and be challenged more about what it is to follow Christ. We want to be a place of learning. So what will you do this year? To seek wisdom the way that people seek silver and gold. Before you leave this room, I encourage you to take that Bible reading plan and to write something on it. What will be your commitment in 2016? What is the Lord speaking to you? How will you do it? What will you? Maybe there's something God's asking you to give up because you need to create that space. Maybe there's something you need to say no to so that you can say yes to more time in God's presence. Maybe there's a commitment you need to make to say, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to accomplish it. How are you going to press more into pursuing wisdom this year? Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you. Lord, for the gift that your word is for us. But we also, God, come before you and confess that so often we fail. We fail to elevate it and understand it and treat it for the value that it is to us, God. God, so often by our actions and by the use of our time and our resources, we say that other things are more valuable than your word and time in it. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us. As a church, would you help us to be that place of learning where we would grow in our understanding of you and our love of you as individuals? Lord, would you help us to prioritize the word of God, presence in your uh, time in your presence, becoming more like Christ, knowing what you have, to say so that we might live wise lives. We might walk in wisdom and make good decisions and be protected from a path that would lead to destruction. That we might stay on that path that leads to life. Where we ask your power to help us to do this on our own, we can't. Lord, we're asking that you would empower us to do it. And I'm asking that every commitment that's written on one of these papers before they leave, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, convict us, hold us to it, hold us accountable, and encourage us to keep these commitments this year so that next year, 
at this time, January of 2017, we look back and we know that we are wiser because of time spent pursuing you and your presence. We ask it all in Christ's name, who is the truth. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.